0: Course stories produced by the instructional design and new media team of Ed Plus at Arizona State University. In this podcast, we tell an array of course design stories alongside other ASU online designers and faculty. On today's course story,
1: but yeah, really, I, I think thinking about your course as a subscription really was, I think, revolutionary for my own thinking. Where students would just, if there were no grades, no requirements. And students wanted to come in, they wanted to log in every day. that was the kind of course I wanted. That's kind of that's the kind of course I went as a designer now. It's the kind of course I advocate for my faculty.
0: Hi, I'm Mary Loder, an instructional designer from ASU online.
1: I'm
2: Ricardo Leone. I'm a media specialist at the same place. Yeah, we work together. Let's get on with the show. Okay. Hey Mary.
0: Hi, Ricardo.
2: <laughs> How are you today?
0: I'm doing really well. I am stoked to hear this course story today.
2: Yes, yeah, so this is MUS 194, a uh, beginning class for guitar. For non-majors.
0: Very important when you hear the conversation today.
2: Yeah, yeah. And so the instructor for this is actually a a former colleague of ours, Brendan Lake. Yeah,
0: we love Brendan.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about this course?
0: Yeah, the course itself is an online music course. I mean, that's kind of clear from it's a beginning class for guitar (laughs) uh, and we're with ASU Online. But what's really neat about it is Brendan's efforts to build a flexible course and to really create a personalized experience that really meets the students where they are, which I think is kind of difficult to do in a music class, especially for non-majors. So... One thing, it's just hard to think about doing music online, but if anybody can do it, Brendan Lake can do it.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I think he mentioned a little bit about like people watch YouTube videos to learn how to do guitar, but this this is cool because he actually can give feedback to his students as opposed to you know your normal how to guitar video.
0: Absolutely. And he supports them in a way that you can't get supported um, from those YouTube videos, like right. you said, with feedback, mm-hmm. but also they get to choose their own music, which I love.
1: I love that they
0: get to choose the music that they're participating in. It's a big part of universal design for learning is giving that student choice. And you can definitely tell that Brendan has built his course with universal design principles in mind
2: yeah it's great and that speaking of choosing your own music uh today's episode features music from mr brendan lake uh we appreciate him doing that for us
0: he's so talented i think we were so lucky when he was in studio playing that day just such a cool experience yeah oh no, we should take the class okay
2: <laughs> let's do it and then we can do uh we can have our own little two-piece band
0: i would love to be in a two-piece band with you you've already named us right
2: Oh, uh, Cognitive Sludge, which I think is in a future episode.
0: Cognitive Sludge. That's right. (laughs) So stay tuned for that.
2: Okay. (laughs) Uh, We also have today on this episode, Rowena Luce.
0: Oh, Rowena is amazing. She's one of the newest instructional design associates with ASU Online. We are so lucky to have her. She's helped me on many projects. I just love her. And then in addition, her voice. The accent. Oh my gosh. All of it. I could listen to it for hours. It's
2: wonderful. In fact, I think I'm going to speak like this for the rest of the episode. I can't find it, though.
0: I
1: was going to say, what what? is that accent? It's very
2: inconsistent. I'm going to abandon that right now. Well, you ready to get in the episode? I cannot wait. All right. Enjoy.
3: Okay, so I'm Rowena Luce, and I'm an Instructional Designer Associate at EdPlus. I'm joined by Brendan today.
1: Hello, my name is Brendan Lake. I am a Lead Learning Designer with Learning Enterprise, also an instructor with the Herberger Institute as a guitar instructor.
3: Fabulous. So Brendan, would you like to tell us the inspiration for your music course?
1: Oh, it's, it's it's a long story, but I'll, I'll try to make it concise. Basically, it, it started off, off as a selfish project, because I just love guitar. Um, I originally started teaching guitar at the University of Minnesota. Very standard, typical guitar course. Um, standard assignments, very standard grading. And I just, I love teaching it. We didn't have anything like that at ASU. Um, so in person, I started proposed the course uh, to herberg institute they launched it and that was probably 2013 flash forward to 2017 2018 i really wanted to launch it online um, i didn't know if it was possible and it seems like others didn't know if it was possible there are just so many issues with trying to teach guitar over an online space i'd say the first one is you know it's it's historically since the beginning of time it's a very apprentice based model of teaching You know, someone like sits next to it, um, a student, they play it right. And the student, you know, plays it and they get immediate feedback by the instructor. It's a very skills motor based course where you can't, you know, just fix a student's finger to be an inch to the left. How do we really foster the right mindsets? You know, when I'm so distant from students, you know, it's it. There's so many fixed mindsets when it comes to music. People try to start and they just think, you know, like the first song doesn't go well. I guess I'm not a musical person. So how do I, as the instructor, over you know, online spaces really make that happen. Eventually, I just said, you know what, I want to do this. I want to try how it works. And it you know can't go too bad, right? <laughs> like, no one, like, no one's going to get hurt. And again, it was very selfish. I, I really want to do this for myself. But honestly, you know, being a guitar teacher has been one of the greatest honors of my life, you know, besides being, you know, a father. And, you know, when I think back on the, the you know, my career so far, you know, a thousand plus students play guitar because, you know, the, I, I've really spread the inspiration, spread the knowledge. And that's, that's an incredible honor that I carry. And so if I could carry this into an online space, figure out how to do it, because I really didn't know anyone else who was doing this, you know, at least in a formal setting, you know, people, I realized people were learning over YouTube. That was the future of music learning. So I really thought originally, like, how can I do this well? So that's kind of the inspiration for the class, (laughs) you know, to, to recap, very selfish, but ultimately I wondered For a long time why does a guitar course even fit at a university and i struggled to answer that for a long time because you know i I, you look at our courses biology chemistry statistics business management it all adds up to careers and, you know, tangible skills that people walk away with that they have value in. What does it matter if people play guitar? You know, should we be forcing them into something like nursing or computer science? But it took a while for me to accept how important music and guitar are to everybody, a society. And I think that's really the underlying mission of a university is to make a better society.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I even think of my day-to-day life and how much I listen to music, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and it gets me through the day. So um, music's integral for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So when we last spoke to together, you mentioned that the course, you wanted it to feel like a subscription, mm-hmm. which speaks to some of what you've already um, touched upon. But mm-hmm. I'm curious about how you gave it that feel mm-hmm. online.
1: Absolutely. I'll back And I'll start off by some of the mistakes I made. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, I I mean, my experience in my undergrad and grad degrees, they were very traditional, um, very structured, rigid. You know, it was very authoritative, I'd, I'd say you could say in some cases, where the instructor kind of really dictated everything you did. Every minute was kind of scripted. There was not a lot of agency on the student side. And that's honestly how I built my first courses. And that was maybe what I thought was a necessity because, again, I didn't know if this was possible. My very first courses were, again, very control-driven. I had 30 lessons for students. You know, I had to force students to play, you know, with these textbook exercises on a week-to-week. And I... <laughs> like looking back like when i have when i've worked with like my own students there's a lot of passion there's a lot of creativity there's a lot of flexibility and in this class you know that that first semester i you know the, my final project was whatever people wanted and that was amazing and i can get to that later but every week i said you know like oh play exercise 2 from the textbook play exercise 4 from the textbook and there was just like when i watched them play it there was just none of that fire in their eyes and i i, I at first i didn't know how to do it so eventually i came across a lot of I guess you could say eccentric learning style books or learning design books about ungrading flexibility control around teaching. And I realized that if anyone played something they didn't want to, it's not the guitar class I wanted. I wanted people to be, you know, inspired in the direction that they wanted. And if they didn't want to play the textbook, I didn't want to make them play the textbook. So eventually I transitioned to a model. I think, oh gosh, like the third time I offered the course, I wanted to try something. And that was if I didn't make anything graded, what would happen? Like I had got such great feedback on my first few courses, even though they were kind of traditional courses, very controlled, people loved it according to the ratings. But I thought, you know, it's like it's still not it doesn't capture the spirit I wanted. I didn't want to just stop there at it's a good course. So what I did was I, I made everything optional, and I just said, you know what? By the final performance, if you can pr- prove to me that you met the objectives, you pass the course. And to my gigantic surprise students didn't do like 80 percent of my course Um, they only played like the popular stuff they completely i think most students didn't buy the textbook which honestly didn't surprise me so i realized very quickly they're probably you know learning from others they're probably watching youtube videos on you know the whatever popular songs they want to and they're coming back to my class and they're playing what they want to but they're not really following my lessons And so my lessons must not be that engaging if students just don't want to do it. So about the fourth or fifth time in the class, I completely redesigned it, where that 20% of the class that I knew they did, I tried to expand that into the whole class, and I realized that... I wanted the course, as you mentioned, to feel like a subscription. I've had so many classes, and you see so many you know, student evaluations where you know people just kind of dread signing into the class. Uh, they don't look forward to it, and that's it's the complete opposite of what education is. You know, when you think about how many people around the world would like crave this education, and it's something you know people try to. I think my one of my favorite quotes about education. I'm sorry, I don't remember the the author, but education must be the only commodity where people try to get as little as they can for their money. And I wanted to completely buck that, to where you know my class was just the ultimate thing that students wanted to sign into. It was a completely anxiety free class, a busy work free class, um, and this is something I actually even mentioned in my syllabus to say, if anything in this class feels like busy work, let me know and we will revise it. Okay, so the uh, the quote that
2: that Brendan was looking for uh, just a minute ago was, "Education seems to be in America the only commodity of which the customer tries to get as little as he can for his money." And that quote is from form
0: That's amazing and so sad. <laughs> I'm serious, like ah, oh, right, right. It should be an intrinsic experience, like yeah,
2: yeah. It's we kind should of that want to learn. Youth is wasted on the young, kind of kind of thing. Education is wasted on those who are seeking education. I guess <laughs> so it's it's hard. It takes a lot of work, and sometimes you got to slip in a paper last minute.
0: Well, I guess well, like is the paper meaningful is that why you waited till the last minute that's where i'm at like mm-hmm. you know make it fun so they want to do it right and it's not like checking boxes i don't know i have so many feelings on that we should do a whole other episode
2: <laughs> on
0: the value of education right like what are we doing why are we doing it
2: right right
0: how can we do it better
2: yeah well, the whole show is like that. We're looking at people who are
1: doing it better and, and okay, fair enough. showcasing them.
0: This is the ongoing conversation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I try to remove all anxiety. You know, when students are playing for me, they don't have to play for anybody else. Nothing's really a live performance. If they do poorly, they can just re-record, which is a beautiful thing about online learning guitar. But yeah, really, I, I think thinking about your course as a subscription really was, I think, revolutionary for my own thinking. Where students would just, if there were no grades, no requirements, and students wanted to come in, they wanted to log in every day. That was the kind of course I wanted, and that's kind of that's the kind of course I went as a designer. Now it's the kind of course I advocate for my faculty.
3: I think you do a nice job of introducing the course in your welcome video because you create a safe space with the students and reiterate they're only performing for you. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not having to perform for other students. It's their first time playing the guitar. And it's going to be a space where they can really learn the basics and have that exploration for the first time playing an instrument.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so my approach to starting out a course, um, one of my favorite phrases that I've heard about you know starting out a course is you um, just in general with video is you want to connect and not perform and when students log into a course for the first time they're not looking at the syllabus they're lo- not looking at the course description it's the first impression they get is is very much a feeling and not a knowledge uh, factor or anything like that and so the first line on my home page is hello and I hope you're doing well that was something that I've you know really realized from a lot of great thinkers on Twitter and academic Twitter that you know students you know they're not coming to your course as you know enthusiastic about the the subject as you are you know when you start out a syllabus you know people kind of assume that all the support is that's needed is tech support or you know content support but you know students they come in and they sometimes don't have enough food to eat. They're, they have a medical issue and they're not sure if they can finish this class. They're concerned about every other priority in their life. And so in that very first video, I don't just jump into, in this module, in this course, here are my objectives. One of my approaches to instructor presence is just for them to know that I care. And I do very, very deeply. And in that welcome video, you know before I introduce you know the objectives or you know, what students are going to be doing, I talk about how excited I am that they enrolled. How excited I was when I played guitar! Um, how excited I am to hear their unique musical voice, and that I wasn't as concerned about you know being the next you know rock star or anything like that. That you know that musical voice is is the best thing you can share with somebody when it comes to music, and and how every individual that picks up a guitar sounds different and has something unique to bring to the world. And I kind of I try to carry that all the way through to my class, where the very last page of my course is a congratulations. I have an optional activity <laughs> that. Um, It's a bonus activity where I say make yourself a drink and then log out of Canvas is my last assignment on the course. But in that very last page, I say the world is the world is better with your music in it, and I try to really carry that emotional kind of weight of the course. You know how much I care about them, what they offer. You know that's that's really what the course is about. Not necessarily getting all the notes right.
3: So I'm new to Ed Plus, and I originally found out about your course from a colleague of mine when I mentioned a kalimba and. Meredith said to me, this is my colleague, that you actually build kalimbas. And I was like, who is this person that builds these instruments?
0: I have a kalimba. You do? I do. Oh, cool. Yeah, Brendan did not make my kalimba, but it's nice. Uh uh The sound of a kalimba is quite relaxing. If you want to know what it sounds like, I found a really, really, really cute... It's very cute. ...short... Sample of what a kalimba sounds like, mm-hmm. and it's a really nice song. Mm-hmm. And there's a really cute dog. Uh huh. So you could watch that if you want. I'll put it in the show notes.
2: But listeners,
0: don't uh, read the comments. Don't. Well, I think the dog died.
2: The dog died.
0: It's like a whole series where this guy plays the kalimba with his dog in the background, and like they're wonderful and mm-hmm. very short. But then. <laughs> Don't get attached. He's so cute.
2: All right, listeners. This is why you should focus on the episode at hand, and uh, and watch that later, and maybe have a a good cry afterwards.
3: Well, he
0: probably lived a really good life. I mean, his owner played kalimba for him personally, right, to every him. day. Yeah. It seems, yeah, yeah.
2: And now he's uh, immortalized on YouTube.
0: Such is the way.
2: Digital media, We live forever.
0: Oh, that makes it better, I guess. <laughs>
3: Anyway, so she showed me your course and I was really impressed with the design, you know, the three stages you have in the modules for students along with the flexibility. I'm even thinking about taking the course with my husband. And I just think it speaks to your course in terms of my initial reaction on seeing it, that I go home and I tell my husband, hey, let's take this course together. So I just think it's important for you know listeners to be able to understand what you did to create that welcome and pull people in to have that creative space and also that flexibility to be who they want to be as a musician starting out absolutely so you've mentioned that there have been many iterations of the course and i'm curious about how your strategies with grading specifically rubrics evolved over time
1: absolutely yeah and that's something i'm very passionate about and something gosh it's one of my favorite kind of trends in education now is uh, I think one of the terms is specifications grading. It's it's taken a lot of forms. It has a lot of names. But it's essentially the idea that it's kind of turning more things in your course into pass-fail. There were so many issues in my original iterations when I had rubrics. I struggled so much with the idea of how do I turn something into a number when it comes to this course and turn it into a score where I can say you don't pass because you got a 69 or a 72. In my syllabus, I'm very clear to students um, under my grading policy that I say I don't think grades should be offered in this class. I think the compilation of you know, student achievement or effort or their musical voice you know to, to reduce it to something like an 85 is a rejection of what it means to be an artist and a human and in, in a deep world. Um, so I start off by saying that now when i the first time i tried to completely remove grades i was i was very you know, passionate about this and i was really optimistic about it um students struggled with it they were very confused because i just told them at the end play your final performance i'll give you a grade based on how well i think you met the objectives and if you didn't come up as well as you wanted you can resubmit which i think is it's a hopefully a very flexible system it was, it was very holistic in terms of you know your guitar achievement and your journey on guitar but a lot of students struggled with it there was i think i Maybe cause more anxiety, and maybe this was a result of my explanation. But students aren't just, they're just not used to it. It's not something they see in their other courses. And so I think part of, you know, students assume you're going to pull the rug out and say, Oh, I don't know what my grade is. And just not knowing all of their progress and not having that mathematical structure that they're so used to is very anxiety ridden. And so ultimately, my kind of balance in having a mathematical structure where they would know that they're doing well while having the flexibility of no rubrics, because yeah, to reiterate, I think when I had rubrics on my weekly assignments, students would do, they would play the most vanilla, boring pieces to make sure that they hit all of the aspects of the rubric. And then when I graded them, you know, I would say, you know, oh, you need to, if you have three or more mistakes, then you get a four out of five. Or if you're one string out of tune, you lose a point. And it's like, that's the total opposite of how I wanted to run a guitar, but it's how I kind of, that's how I was taught originally. But nowadays, when I have you know, my pass fail, I have pass fail on all of my assignments. And so it really welcomes a lot of flexibility. I think it's better for diversity, equity, and inclusion, because people have a lot of interests in music, maybe they want to play um, jazz, country, hip hop, you know, you know, different guitar riffs, it allows them to play more. And so if you have like less of that rubric, and I remember when I was a student, and I would see like, oh, I got an 87 on something I tried really hard on, I'd think like, God, this, this instructor is a jerk, because I'd worked so hard, and I got an 87 but if I say, you passed, and that's all they kind of see initially, it kind of opens their eyes to like, okay, well, how was my work evaluated? And then we're talking about learning and not a score. And so when I give them, at that point, I'll give them feedback on you know the things that they did well, the things that they didn't, but it's not something I quantified into a score. And when I give feedback, one of my favorite thinkers on you know arts and, and education, Liz Lerman, who's an ASU instructor, one of her quotes from the critical response process is, great feedback should inspire students to get back to work. And so that's something I carry forward in, in everything. It's not Not just, you did this well, you didn't do this well. It's how can I kind of give you the next step and inspire you to take that next step.
0: So what do you think about that non-grading strategy, Ricardo?
2: I mean, you know, I went through regular school where they gave us grades and all that stuff. So I I think it's really neat, especially with something that's a little more abstract and a little more uh, subjective, like uh, guitar,
0: Yeah. And it's for non-majors. So it's not necessary that they walk away with the same level of learning as the person next to them. It's really their own personal growth, as Brendan said, right? It's their Mm -hmm. own journey. So I think it works really well for this class. I just don't know that it would work well for a course where your knowledge matters, like the medical industry or (laughs) math. (laughs) You know, there are right answers in some situations. But I do wonder how people deal with the non-grading strategy in those situations too. be something to explore.
2: Yeah. And I, I would love for uh, the listeners to reach out uh, to us and tell us your experience with uh, non-grading strategies. Uh, how often do you do you come across these uh, types of courses, Mary?
0: You know, honestly, I think I recall Mary Lou Fulton teaching college uh, using that strategy. I just don't oh, wow. know which courses they're using it in and if it's for electives or non majors or if they're using it for their major map courses. I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to talk to one of their designers and find out.
2: Yeah, Mary Lou, reach out.
3: With the feedback, how did you personalize it for students? Because I think you implement a very unique strategy in giving that unique, personalized communication, really, between faculty and students in your course. So can you explain to listeners how you did that?
1: Absolutely. So one beautiful thing about Canvas is it allows you to record videos. And I think once we went into Canvas, I knew I could offer this course. I I don't think I could have offered it in some LMSs. But since I was able to record, you know, my students record video, they submit it to me. And then instead of just having a text, you know, where I said, great job, John, do these things, which is really difficult on guitar anyway, I record a video where I say, you know, great job, John. I was really in, you know, I thought it was really beautiful the way you did this. And then I try not to, I know... <laughs> A lot of people try like the, the you know, the feedback sandwich of positive, negative, positive. I don't subscribe to that. I don't think it's a very, I don't think it's the best way to do feedback. Honestly, I just talk about what I really enjoyed. And sometimes, you know, I'll listen to my students three or four times, you know, when I'm playing through and I'll tell them that it's like, wow, John, that was really beautiful. I actually listened to your recording two or three times. And I think that just inspires them that they hear an expert because a lot of people don't know a lot of you know, expert guitarists. And so they kind of, they're really inspired. Like it's the first time that they'll hear like, wow, somebody who knows guitar is really inspired by me and how meaningful that was for me when I started. And then after I get past the, what I really loved and felt inspired by and what I heard in their musical voice and everything else, I really move on to, you know, here are some things to consider for the next, you know, your next week of practice. And I always say to, to consider because there's no one way to play guitar, you know, just singers. We have so many diverse, you know, Josh Groban, Bob Dylan, Very different singers, both very successful. And so for me to tell people, you should play guitar like this, again, is a rejection of what I want in my class. So I tell them, here's what I might do, but if you like it the other way, by all means, keep doing it that way. But you may find, like, sometimes it's a technical issue. It's like, you may find it gets hard, but if it works for you now, try it until it doesn't. And it really welcomes them into space and honors where they're at as a guitarist rather than saying, you should do these things.
3: So you mentioned students' musical voice in the course, and you really want to nurture that. How do you learn about them as people throughout the creative process?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's one really important part of the class. By the second or third, because I'm a big tinkerer in my classes, I always try to change like 10 or 20% of the class every term. By the second class, I realized it's hard. To, I have 50 students with no TAs, and that's something I'm very proud of, and I can actually maybe even have more, but don't tell the Herberg Institute that yet. Um <laughs> but the way I try to learn about my students is I have a survey in the opening module where I ask them about what their goals are, what their background is on music, what their background is on guitar. And then I'll export that, you know, Canvas allows you to export to a spreadsheet, um, survey results. And so when I actually get to the grading, you know, I have 50 students, it's hard to keep track. You know, if you don't have a a cheat sheet on who John was or Jill was or Anna or Jamal or anything like that, I'll export that spreadsheet to where I see, oh, Oh, Jamal played, you know, trombone in high school. And so when I, when, you know, Jamal starts playing for me, I can say, wow, I can tell your rhythm is really strong, that you have a background in music. I can tell that, you know, your skills on trombone are really carrying well. Or if someone plays ukulele or violin, I can tell that their left-hand dexterity is very, very fluid. And I say that, you know, I'm not surprised because of your background in string instruments. And that really helps them, again, feel seen. And in my evaluations, every term, I think my students say it, did not feel like an online class, which I think is really, it's quite a compliment because they really felt like I knew them as people that I was there for them and they felt well supported. And hopefully in the future that online has a better reputation, we can build better systems for students. But for now saying it doesn't feel like an online class is is quite a compliment.
3: So I've seen your sequencing in the course and I'm curious why you structured it the way that you did.
1: Yeah. So my structure, I would say it certainly has changed. Like most of the things in the course, one thing I realized very quickly as I was wondering if this course was even possible to do online was, you know, there, there are so many, again, so many challenges in a motor skills based course. Like, I mean, a guitar is, is so much, it's like, you know, I think choreography for your fingers, basically. Um, how do I teach that choreography? And every dance instructor who's tried to teach an online course or a yoga course or any kind of motor skills course knows that feeling, but, I realized the kind of the traditional models of teaching guitar where you might teach someone a song um, you know, on their first day, it's not possible because I'm not there kind of coaching them, catching their mistakes immediately and correcting it. And so I think the structure of my course, I really tried to get, I think traditional instructional design and instruction is all about how to get students to the finish line the fastest. But I realized for this course, I had to, how do I teach this subject with as few questions as possible, even if it takes a little longer? And that's how I was, I think I was able to be really successful. And deliver this online in, in, a, in a hopefully a good way and so i think one challenge that i had that's fairly unique to guitar is that this is not a course you can cram on uh, people's fingers hurt bad <laughs> when they're starting guitar um, and so you know most people will work on a weekend they try to study for six hours it just doesn't work so my original thought was how do i get people to practice for an hour a day and some people naturally do that. Some people don't think about it, but I structured it rather than having all of my learning materials, you know, in one list, you know, just, you know, do whatever you want. Cause again, I want that, have that, sense of agency where people explore what they want when they can. I tried to organize my learning materials into lessons where I had five or six lessons each week designed to be offered one day at a time. And hopefully that kind of supported predicting and planning out scheduling to say, do one lesson a day. If you skip a day, you can try to do two lessons the next day. And one other avenue that I really tried to do well was, I mean, so much of guitar is about practice. How can I inspire students to practice? They can watch videos all day long, but it's not going to make them a good guitarist. Um, So how do I really capture that practice? And so every single lesson that I have, each five or six lessons, each module has three sections. There's a learn section at the top where I'll introduce, you know, videos I'll, I recorded initially, you know, it, it was during COVID. And so I had kind of my a lot of my home videos. And then I eventually built a practice section under that where if it was new concepts, I would have little self-check quizzes or little games. Or if it was something like a new technique, like hammer-ons, pull-offs, I actually recorded five videos Of exercises, you know, like all the the classic intros, Wish You Were Here, you know, a lot of Beatles tracks of me playing five examples of how you can apply that. So students, it's not just, you know, watching videos. It's one thing. And then here's, you know, five examples, the way you can practice this. And people don't have to play everyone. If they like the Beatles, they can play that one. If they like Johnny Cash, they can play that track. Um, And the last section is questions. And so initially, I kind of had a little hack in Canvas where I built all of my lessons in Discussions in, in the actual canvas discussions and so in the prompt i would have learn and practice and at the very bottom of the screen i would have questions if we were like uh, presented in a discussion and that's been very very helpful and i think it's you know that type of interactivity where people you know see a little bit they practice they can immediately ask questions. And it's, of course, I'm subscribing so I can respond as, as quickly as possible. It has just been fantastic for me.
3: It's funny though, you say that about the guitar because I was trying to teach myself Norwegian words the other oh, day. That's tough. And I haven't played in a long time. Mm-hmm. My fingers were killing me. Oh, yeah. You know, so, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I haven't played enough it's... because I, you know, and the sound isn't as good because you can't, oh, yeah. you know, apply the pressure. I know that, I know that very well. Moving forward, what changes do you plan to make, iterations of the course? It sounds like it's been constantly evolving. So I'm really curious to hear what you plan to do in the future.
1: I think one of the biggest things I'd like to do is improve my media. And I think, you know, media is such a critical part of this course in both ways, you know, from instructor to student, student to instructor, and eventually student to student. But I think that's maybe a phase three kind of uh, iteration. But one thing I'd really love to do, I mean, Ed Plus and, you know, the Tempe campuses, Sky song there's amazing studios and it'll it'll blow my covid webcam home videos out of the water and so I'm really looking forward to scheduling some time and trying to you know redo as many videos as I can whether I can just do you know a few at a time you know video recording takes a while there are still a lot of outstanding questions that I have about my course One is I think about accessibility and that's something I struggle with quite a bit. I've struggled with since the beginning of what is my, what are my obligations as an instructor around accessibility in a course that depends on media? And I think it's it's not necessarily unique to music, you know, what is an art instructor's, art history instructor's obligation to students with visual disabilities. I'm yet to really hammer that out, what that answer is, and how I can support and welcome students, because I don't want to just say, oh, well, they probably won't sign up for my class. But if a student, even with, you know, any kind of visual disability, I want them to be able to take my class and communicate the ideas. And because, I mean, again, my class isn't completely about how to be a great guitarist. It's about how to think differently about the world through the lens of music and implement some of the ideas and have a, a, you know, a release at the end of the day through music.
3: There is something you said to me about one of the challenges that you had is in terms of making it a safe space versus a collaborative space because the videos are only shared with you and not peers. But there's obviously a deliberate reason for that. It's a beginner's guitar class. And I would certainly feel the pressure if I knew it was being shared with everyone. So how do you or. All- How do you intend to build some collaboration into that class?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's another outstanding question. I've had is how should I structure collaboration because one of my initial fears talking about the audience who signs up for this I have a lot of guitarists who are already dynamite guitarists and they're in there for easy credit or because you know they've been playing for three years but they never had lessons and so they want to kind of see what lessons look like and what the, kind of their gaps are and so I have students who just you know they, they, they run circles around all the assignments they're improvising they're making putting in their own spin it's, it's really actually incredible. Um, and then I have people who have never picked up a guitar before. And those are usually actually my favorite learners because I know what that struggle is like. And I'm so excited for them to kind of take that first leap to play guitar. You know, initially I thought, oh, it'd be wonderful to have these you know, public galleries of everyone playing their their stuff. But again, there's, there's such a fixed mindset often in music where people just give up once their fingers start hurting or once that chord doesn't sound right. I think I'm not a musical person um, that I didn't want that new student to see that advanced student and think, wow, I'm not as good as them. Um, So how do I navigate that sense of collaboration? And I I see a lot of new beginners that they would really, they would love to see, you know, that those advanced students, and the advanced students would love to see the beginning students, just like I'm an advanced, you know, guitarist who's still learning, but I love seeing beginners too. How do I foster that sort of collaboration and that joy of, because music is ultimately something that is shared from the beginning. You know, some people play for themselves, but ultimately, since the beginning of time, it's a social uh, act. And so how do I make this a social act without having that sense of anxiety for those students who are just struggling? Or maybe, you know, they feel a little bit of shame, unfortunately, and we come trying to support them out of that shame. But it's very much a part of their journey on guitar, so... It's, it's tough, but I, I think that's one thing I'd love to explore and maybe it ends up just being a situation where it's optional, you know, for my final performance, which I'm really, really excited about. It's my favorite part of the the term when people just kind of bring in everything they learned, apply it to what they really want to learn and apply it to their goals, it, making a, an optional private or public way of submitting that video, where if they want to show off, they can. And I'll kind of have a caveat of some people are really good at guitar, you know, coming into this class, it's everyone's journey is different you know, comparison is a thief of joy, however I want to explain it. But then if, you know, people have that sense of, I don't know if this is good enough to share, and that's that's totally okay too.
3: How might your experience in this course benefit others?
1: Um, would that be other instructors?
3: Other instructors, yeah.
1: Okay. I would say, if I can impart anything about my class, um, it would be, I'm going to reframe your question.
3: Okay. <laughs> do it, I love it.
1: <laughs> what, what do I, I'm going to reframe your question into, what do I wish I knew as a beginning instructor that I've learned and I think that might be valuable for others? Um, I would say one critical thing I've learned is how meaningful and impactful it is to have in your videos more of that kind of connection. Again, returning to that idea of connecting and not performing um, that the, you know, the academia can be such a sterile place and just, to, you know, simple acts of hello, I care about you good morning, I hope you're doing well, goes so long. And I think students really see the effort that you put in. I think it it really sets up trust in a really, really meaningful way. I think one other aspect of my course that I, I really try to support instructors in adopting is that sense of practice. I think Sal Khan's quote about learning is that basically all learning is practice and feedback. And so if you really have to implement those non-punitive ways of allowing students to practice to fail, to normalize failure as part of the learning process, and then giving them feedback towards that growth, I think if you build your class around that rather than summative assignments, I think it's it's very, very powerful. And to add to Sal Khan's quote, if if he doesn't mind, hopefully, I'm sure he's listening, that it's I think all learning comes from inspiration, practice and feedback. You have, really have to start with connecting, you know, why this is so magical. Because I think every course that I've ever been a part of, there's some magic in it. There's some magic in the subject. And so I think if you can capture that magic, show off your enthusiasm very, very clearly. Start from a place of wonder. Then I think I think when it comes to my guitar class, I think my guitar class is, is very different. And I, I think a lot of the strategies, they certainly do not work everywhere. Certainly rubrics are a very, very valuable part of a lot of courses. I think my course is flexible because it is an elective. Um, it is for non-majors. And I think there's I, the endless, you know, philosophical debate around education, around growth versus achievement or growth versus standards. You know, my class is very much built around growth because I don't need my learners to be great guitarists. It's about the process and the effort. And so I want to Clarify that, but I, I really love teaching my class and I hope this podcast is is valuable for everyone.
3: Yeah, and I think you overcome that challenge with such a condensed time too, because instructors can be pulled to those summative, evaluative pieces, right? But how do you build in that practice for that formative feedback where students can, you know, receive it during the process of learning, regardless of the subject, you know. Mm-hmm. So I like that. I like that you're building that into your course. How does your course story end for students?
1: Um, that's that's very important for me. The last, I, I think, one of the lessons I learned in my actual m- my music career was how you start and end a musical piece are the two most important parts because it really ties a bow. It's, yeah, you know, the beginning frames the whole process. It, it frames the impression that students have and how they experience everything and the way you end Kind of supports because no course ends in week seven. It's a lifelong journey. And so week seven, I really start by kind of talking about planning, reflecting on the whole course process, but also thinking about what are the next steps for you? A lot of my lessons actually kind of build into that to say, what are some great guitar resources that you found online? What are some great resources in your own life where you can continue to learn guitar? Um, I want to end on a really positive, empowering note for my class, and so my very my final project is literally whatever people want. And I think under my requirements, it just says play for a couple minutes for me. Um, You can play whatever you want as long as it's aligned with your goals. And the very first time, you know, that that very first time I offered this class, I think the very first student. That submitted that final project was a woman, a mom playing with her daughter in that, in that final performance. Because that was actually her goal, was just going to connect with her daughter to have something fun to do with her. Um, so it was just an incredible, I was actually brought to tears um, when I first, you know, that first assignment that I graded. And I was like, it made all of the effort and struggle and frustration of, of, you know, thinking if I could build a class and hoping I could work it out. Everything was absolutely worth it from that first student. And so that's really how it ends. Like I said, it, it's my favorite part to see, you know, people just rock out, people who've been introverts, you know, at the the beginning really digging into a punk song it's it's a blast it's
3: fabulous thank you so much for your insight into your course it's very valuable
1: absolutely yeah thank you for all you do and i think this is an incredible podcast and service to others
3: oh that was
0: so refreshing yes it's so nice to hear from former colleagues that are you know, actively teaching in the online environment and finding success and applying the strategies that they've learned about through their own experiences and supporting other faculty and seeing that experience in their own classroom and the reiterative design. I mean, this is an exemplary experience for online design.
2: Absolutely. And a great instructor, too. I feel I, I feel like I want to take this course because I would feel so supported by my instructor.
0: Same. Brendan's amazing, and we're so thankful that we had an opportunity to talk with him, and also to have Rowena's beautiful voice accompany the conversation and her passion towards guitar as well. Thanks so much, (laughs) everybody.
2: Oh yeah, Rowena was uh, is also learning how to play guitar as well, right? She
0: knows how to play guitar. She and her husband play. She says not well, but I have a feeling she knows how to play fairly well. Certainly better than me. Probably not as well as Brendan, but my goodness, that's a high bar. I just want to highlight for anyone who's interested. We are hosting an ASU Online Faculty Showcase. We do it twice a year, so check back if you can't make it this time. But next week, we will be hosting Brendan Lake and two other instructors to talk about their successes in their courses, and Brendan's going to be talking about this class as a part of his ASU Online Faculty Showcase presentation. So definitely check in, uh, sign up, register on the Teach Online site for our workshops and webinars to attend the ASU Online Faculty Showcase. So, Mary, what can the listener do? Like and subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends. And then in two weeks, come back because we're going to have another show. Oh, sounds good. Where can they find these shows? They can find them anywhere. Anywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere. Apple, Spotify, everywhere. But you can also come to Teach Online. That's our hub for sharing all of the knowledge that we've accumulated over the last decade with ASU Online. So it's a great spot to dig in and listen to our podcast and maybe read some articles. Excellent.
2: Course Stories is produced by the Instructional Design and New Media team at EdPlus at Arizona State University. Course Stories is available wherever you listen to podcasts. You can reach us at coursestories at asu.edu. If you're an instructor at ASU Online, tell us your course story, and we may feature it in a future episode. Thanks for listening.